and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, once again, you know who it is. It's the big guy with the little show. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's the podcast live and loud with the Lord on the CMS Network. And ladies and gentlemen, as always, I have another special guest that I'm honored to have on my show. He's a a uh, husband, a father, he's a businessman, he's an entrepreneur, he's an amazing musician, and he's got a whole lot of things going on. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's a reverend also, man. This guy right here, man, is doing some amazing things. So we're going to take a dive into his pool. Yes, indeed. We're going to allow you guys to swim a little bit. And uh, it won't get too deep to where you can't stand up if you can't swim, but you'll enjoy. You'll enjoy the swim, though, ladies and gentlemen. So I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Alex Loman. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Yes, indeed, man. Thank you for being here, young man. So oh, not a problem at all. Hey, hey, I appreciate you, man. So I always like to ask two questions. First of all, the first one is, where are you from? Uh, I was born in Dallas, Dallas, Dallas. Texas. And I've, I've lived in this area my whole life. I technically live uh, on the very south end of the Dallas area down in Waxahachie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can drive all the way to North Dallas and I'll probably get there in about an hour and a half. That's kind of how spread out everything is. But once you're more than like 40 miles from home, it's just Dallas. It's kind of <laughs> like when you're from Orange County. Right. Once you're out of Orange County, you're from LA. <laughs> Same sort of thing. Yeah, man. Flying into Dallas, man, just seeing the skyline, man. You know, it was my first time ever being there. And I was just like, man, I didn't know oh, how, yeah. how expansive it was, you know. It's 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 crazy. And then Fort Worth is almost as big and just 30 miles away. And then Denton's just north. And yeah, it's it it it's it's pretty intimidating. You go to most other cities and there seems to be a, a city, right, suburbs, and then country. Right. Man, we don't have a lot of country left uh, in, this, in this part of the state anyway. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers fan, but, you know, no disrespect. I mean, we do have more Super Bowls than the Dallas Cowboys. It's all that just makes me happy. Uh, and, yeah. Uh, so, the, no, no, no disrespect. The Dallas Cowboys is kind of a uh, – we love them because they're here. <laughs> I always say, listen, there's so like many – you know, oh God, I don't really like this kid, but man, I got to spend Christmas with him, so I'll make the best of it. And the Dallas Cowboys are like, I, I have, I listen, all the love for them until they play the Steelers. And I always say the Dallas Cowboy fans are some of the most. I don't know if they're arrogant or confident, but it's always good to laugh at them when they don't make it because they talk so much. Oh yeah, what is yeah, man, it's now now make no mistake, there are people that bleed. Silver and blue. Doesn't matter how bad they're doing, That's right. they're a fan. Yeah. But uh, boy, when they're not doing well, the tide turns so fast. I, I mean, I mean, I have to say, I am like that with the Steelers, though. You know, good or bad, I'm there, man. That's, I mean, the Stars and the Mavericks. They'll, they'll hold out. They're like, no, no, no. Those are my guys. It's fine. We're just having a bad year. But with the Cowboys, like, man, these guys are terrible. It's, it's a different yeah, look, Cowboys are a different level, man. So, so what's the best thing about being from, you know, where you're from? Man, it really – Texas is a very conservative state, but mm-hmm. in the major cities, it's quite a bit more liberal. And I've kind of grown up being surrounded by – all kinds of things and all kinds of people. And 
I love having access to all that kind of stuff. I love that if I want to go and shoot guns one day, I can do that. If I want to go to an art museum, I can I can go and I can do all that. I'm also not a cold weather person. Oh my god, the cold just wears me out. <laughs> I keep my AC at home at about 78 degrees. Wow. Um and I I love that hot summer weather. Gotcha. Um the people here are great. The ladies here are beautiful. Um <laughs> you know, lots of lakes. I mean, right. Texas is not a profoundly beautiful state. Mm-hmm. Um it's relatively flat right. and there's not a whole lot going on. It's not like when you drive to Colorado or something like that, where you're just overwhelmed by the beauty of what you're looking at. But um, it's home, and most of my family's here too, so that that helps. Uh, I'm I'm pretty tight with my family, and Mm -hmm. come from a pretty large family, and we're all from relatively close to this area. That's a great thing, no doubt. So we're gonna start getting into it. Let me ask this question though: How did you meet the magnificent Matt Acevedo? Um, I met Matt, I was working at zoo music, mm-hmm. uh, in Dallas, Texas, and he was a customer and he would come in pretty regular. So I got right. to know him a little bit. Um, and then, uh, he was working maintenance at this real impressive high rise called the Stratford. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Stratford sold and they all lost their jobs. Wow. And, um, the manager heard about him being available and was like, I got to get this guy. Um, So Matt and I became friends. Uh, I had a car and he didn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had a coffee maker and I didn't. So (laughs) I would drive to his house. We would have coffee, get my van and drive to work. Um, And for a while um, I played uh, bass uh, for Livid Rage with him and Carmen. Okay. Uh, And then eventually started my own project after that. And and there wasn't any bad blood or animosity. I just had different things I wanted to do and and stuck it out until we found a suitable replacement. But um, I remember Matt, even before he worked there, very well because there's a word we use in skateboarding called steezy. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one thing to pull off a trick. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing when you can combine style and ease and make it look simple. And that's how mm-hmm. Matt's playing always was. So yeah. it wasn't so much what Matt was playing. It was the lack of attention he had to pay to what he was doing to pull it off. Right. But everything was just, it was steezy. It was, it was, I got you. he yeah. had like a, a style and a vibe and he was so relaxed playing these complicated things and just as laid back as you can possibly get. Right. And never was super concerned about like what guitar he was playing or what amp he was playing through. Um, he just kind of transcended all of that. And, and actually, and it, it ended up being a really, really cool person too. I, I really enjoyed getting to work with him. He, yeah. he made it, a, a lot more fun to 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 deal with because man, working retail. I don't care what you're doing. Re- retail is just a grind. <laughs> well, I know that Matt. Matt is definitely, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, Matt Acevedo is my bandmate in Plastic Catastrophe with Lord Nelson, and he is everything that Alex just said. He is. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah I, I wouldn't say this lightly. He is probably the best guitarist I have ever met in person. That's awesome, and I man. actually know. He is that time. Um, That's why I call him the magnificent one. Yes, indeed. So, well, you, well, you spoke on it. So let's let's get into it. You talked about playing that bass, and you play the upright bass. So, yeah. 
So you've got to be really cool and different to me to play that instrument. So how did the upright bass speak to you differently than other fashionable instruments? I um I specifically play rockabilly slap. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that works is on your downbeat, you pull the string and let it snap against the fingerboard. Okay. And then in between those notes, you smack your hand against it. So it's boom, clack, boom, clack. Okay. So I actually started out as a drummer. Got you. Um, so it was kind of a way to play bass and drums at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah. And that it, it, it's kind of a, an instrument all to itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I still play with uh, a rockabilly group called the chilling archives. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, I wasn't going to play bass for that group. I was going to play guitar and sing, and mm. I couldn't find anyone else who can play rockabilly slap. So right. by default, I ended up doing it just because there's not a whole lot of people around who, who can do that anymore. Gotcha. Um, I mean, 30 years ago, it was pretty commonplace, but now there's really just kind of a small handful of us. Mm -hmm. um, but, but the upright is kind of a, it's also kind of a function, I guess, where it's the actual bass part of the bass line is it's very subtle and it's more something that you feel than you actually hear. Right. So on one hand, you're making all this clickety clackety racket on top of everything, driving the tempo forward. But at the same time, you're also kind of laying back in the the pocket and kind of letting your your guitar player really do the the heavy lifting as far as the melodies and all of that. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I say and and I. I've always driven vans and hearses. So mm -hmm. the size of the instrument was never a detriment to me. A lot of people have mentioned that they would like to get one, but they don't have any way to transport. Right. And so for me, that was never an issue. I'm like, I, I can get three of them in there. I don't care. Yeah. I remember what I was going to say is that I remember seeing the band, the coffin cats. And, uh, oh, with Vic. Yes. Yeah, and I remember, uh, what, you know, that, the, bass and everything and so like that it was just unique and i enjoyed it man it was a great show man so i actually I, use he makes his own pickups really and i use yeah it's uprightbassepickups.com and he makes some of the most fantastic piezos i saw them dude we i was playing for this group called the atomic fiends mm -hmm. and we were playing the ridgely theater in fort worth texas and we were playing for this new band no one had heard of them called the coffin cats right <laughs> And at this point in my life, I'm in my early 20s, and yeah. I mean, I, I started gigging at 14, so I, I can't tell you how many gigs I sat through where we go, we play, and then we sit through two or three bands that are just ho-hum, and then two in the morning comes, we load our equipment out, get paid, and go home. Right. Man, they hit the stage. It was us, and then Rocket DeVille, and then Coffin Cats, and I remember they hit the stage, and it was just, man, it was putting the pedal to the floor, yeah. don't touch the brakes. And all the way through, I remember toward yeah. the end, he stands up on the base. He puts his <laughs> lower foot in the hip, the other one up on the shoulder. Yes. He, flips. he jumps <laughs> off this thing, heel flips it in the air, lands on the downbeat and picks right back up where he left off. Yes. But he was one of the early ones. Um, like I said, there, there's not a lot of us that do this. So whenever you go to a rockabilly show, you can set your watch by it before the show starts. All the bass players are going to be in one little corner with their bases <laughs> looking like hens. And 
I remember he grabbed my bass and was playing it and gave me a lot of very, very solid advice on string tension and adjustments and bridge and adjusting the bridge and stuff. I have never forgotten. Um, Just could not have been a more forthcoming and, and awesome player. Um, But man, that, that was kind of a game changer for me. I, I learned not only did I learn a lot from him, but after I realized how great of a player he was, he was noticing little things about my playing that he thought were neat. And I was kind of like, awesome. Not well, real. all it's right. If, if Vic thinks I'm doing kind of okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, we actually played with them. Man, it must have been back in January or February. They came mm-hmm. through on tour again. Um, and we played with them over in Fort Worth again. And oh. it was just every bit as awesome as it had ever been. Loved no doubt, it. Man. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you spoke about your band, the Chilling Archives. Uh-huh. Tell, us a, tell us a little bit more about that and the musical vibe that you guys are creating. It was kind of a an odd project. Um, I was looking to do a, another project that was mine, and I, and I wanted to sing. Um, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I spent so much of my 20s writing the same kinds of songs about the same kind of subject matter, the same kind of vibe. And I mean, I remember having punk crowds turn on me at Mm. venue when I would try to deviate from that. Um, And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I had this, um, I did a cover song just by myself at home of uh, the Cure's uh, love song that I did in a rockabilly style. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought, man, maybe I'm kind of onto something with this. So got a couple of buddies uh, who were interested in doing it. Um, and this is when lockdown happened. Right. So there wasn't really anything to do. So mm-hmm. and the three of us had been hanging out before lockdown. So we're like, well, we've already been around each other. Right. We're not around anybody else. So we used that time to practice. And what we ended up doing um, was we put together a rockabilly cover group, but we only do 80s hits, but in a rockabilly style. That's so awesome. I tell people to imagine if Cindy Lauper had been with <laughs> Bill Haley in the comments. That's kind of the direction it goes. Awesome. But the beauty about it is every song is a hit, every song is a sing-along, right. and it's really easy for us to add material. And then if we're playing with Coffin Cats, that's when we get into doing judas priest and billy idol mm. and if we're playing with fade the ace we get more into the the cindy lopper and the prince right. um and and stuff like that there's and dan also sings in that group so i don't have to do all the heavy lifting vocally i can just do backups on a few things um but kind of the neat thing about it is because we are a legitimate rockabilly band and there's so few of them when touring acts come through we very often get those opening spaces right um so we've opened for the meteor the coffin cats the necromantics um i got some stuff coming up in the pipeline that I, i i hope all works out and it um it also helps that i'm with uh beefy dan burnett plays guitar um who also works at the haunted house with me. And then uh, Matt Hamill plays the drums and they've both been gigging since they were in their young teens too. So we, we get a lot of gigs um, because frankly, we're not, we're not a, not a pain. Uh, We'll show up, we do our job, we get our stuff off stage, no drama, Mm -hmm. uh, no raging alcoholic prima donna fits (laughs) or anything like that. But it's, 
it has been an absolute blast. And the beauty about it is we really don't ever have to run out of material. And then I don't ever have to second guess anything that I'm writing. I mean, because yeah. as, as you know, songwriting, that, man, that, that takes a lot out of somebody. Yeah. I mean, because you're literally taking yourself and you're, you're putting it out there. Indeed. And, Indeed. and if it doesn't go well, I mean, that, that can, man, that can kind of wreck your day. So this is kind of a way to sidestep okay. a lot of that. And all of this play in other projects too with original material and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we also have our artistic um, outlook, but um, this is kind of all, all three of ours are our main focus. It's the one that we gig with the most and, yeah. and uh, put the most effort into. Well, you're definitely a creative man and, and you and your guys. And so, you know, with this band, do you guys have any aspirations of being bigger or are you just enjoying what you're doing with it? I would really like, I don't know if bigger is necessarily the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like, as time goes by, to become busier, though. Busy. And I, I would really like to travel some. Gotcha. Um, most of my gigging is generally local. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, we might go down to Austin or Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma, right. something within like five or six hours okay. um, and, and, and gig and come back. But um I'd like to travel a little more with this group just because we do have so many more opportunities for, for venues. And it's like, I also play guitar for a, a post-punk Gothic band Mm -hmm. and there's, there's like two places that will accommodate that kind of thing with the rockabilly band. We've got some, some leeway on that. And what I would really like to do, um, and I really kind of want to see up north in the summer. Mm. I would really like to be able to parlay this and to get to see more of the country that I haven't seen yet and right. spend some time on the road and just, man, kind of see some stuff. Life is short. I want to see it all. Hey, I feel you on that one, man. You got to enjoy it as much as possible. It'll happen for you if you want it to happen, man. Indeed. So, oh, yeah. We just got to keep pushing forward. Yes, sir. It. Never stop, man. It's what we love. It's what we love. So now, how long have you been a reverend and what was that feeling like when you were called to the ministry? That was kind of a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little background on that. I, professionally, I'm a, I'm a haunted house owner and operator. We're going to get into that. And um, one of the things about my particular industry is that, I mean, if, if you work at Johnson Smith plumbing company, mm-hmm there's no way you're hanging out with another plumbing company. That's right, just not how it right, works. Right, the haunted right. industry is not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all friends. And um, one of my staffers was marrying a staffer at another haunted house. And they okay. wanted to have a reception at ours and the wedding at theirs. And they specifically wanted me um, to do the service, mm-hmm. the, the actual wedding. So yeah. I, I got ordained online and, and did it. And since then, I probably do... I don't know, seven or eight weddings a year. Um, I've done some in front of newborn babies in the NICU. Um, (laughs) uh, um, I've done a couple of last minute ones. And unfortunately, I've done a handful of funerals, too, when they couldn't find somebody that knew the decedent. They were like, we want somebody who knew this person to come and do it. But it's I'm not an overly religious person, mm-hmm. but it did feel like something I was called 
to do. Mm-hmm. And as such, I, I don't ever charge for it. I don't ever accept any money for it. Uh, the few times people have snuck me tips, I'll normally give it to the cat rescue or something like that, gotcha. just on on principle. Right. But I figure it's one of those things when when my friends need me for something, then I can be there to do it, and I'm I'm happy to do it. I'd, yeah, yeah there's love. There's love because uh, my 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 guy, relentless uh, from the band Vengeance. We were born on the same day. We toured together when I was with Stuck Mojo. He he flew me out to be the officiant for his for he and his wife uh, nice. in, in Napa, California. So I got ordained online. So we have, hey, listen, I went out there and it was just an amazing time. I enjoyed it so much, man. And I took it oh, so yeah. seriously because it, yeah. ser- it was serious to me. And I thank him for that. But I had a, it was a great time, man. And so I understand what you're saying, though, man. I really oh, do. You get man. to tailor it, too. It's oh, like, my goodness. People yeah. want something kind of funny and lighthearted or yeah. whatever. Well, like, I'm going to tell you, man, my father's a bishop, and I and I got one my dad. I took it so seriously. And I got my whole thing. I had it just just nice. I went out there, and, and I was like, relentless. This is serious to me, man. We're going to go out here because he had such a beautiful wedding in Napa. And I was just like, my brother. Let's do this and let's do it proper and right. So it was an amazing time, man. So I, I, I feel you on that one, man. I, I really do. I really do. So now we talked about you, you. You you talked about the haunted houses. So now I really want to get into it. So and now I was saying like, okay, Reverend Loman, but you know now you told me how you became a Reverend and everything, which I understand it. So let's talk about Reindeer Manor Halloween Park. So how did a Reverend come to own and operate such a unique establishment? I actually started out as a haunter um, before a haunter. that, a and um, <laughs> it, it's hard to say exactly when I started. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, because as, as kids, I always loved Halloween, and uh, you know, we'd make little spook houses inside the house and, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing, and it was always something that I enjoyed. Right um, through my you know, all through my teens and twenties. I played in punk bands and we tried to do very over the top shocking shows with coffins and dancers and fire and all of that. But as I got older um, and sort of thinking more about wanting to have kids and some stability, um, my, my focus on it changed. Um, I was, I was kind of tired of, the, the fights at the clubs. I was, I was tired of the, the destruction, the mosh pits. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into a lady recently that owned a club called spider babies and we were reminiscing and uh, <laughs> there were six gigs in a row where a fight broke out during our set. Wow. And that was getting, it was getting to be a, a little much for me. That's and I, I grew up in a, a car family. My dad owned a paint and body shop. He was always self-employed. Right. Um, and he was always one of those who never really sat me down and told me to do this. He just did this by example. But what he taught me with the way he lived his life was to be independent and self-sufficient. And if your tile is broken, you figure out how to get mastic and grout and you fix your tile. And if your roof needs repair, you repair it. And as such, I grew up being instilled with the idea that collecting skills was a good thing. And mm-hmm. you didn't have to be great, but it was like, you need to know how to weld. You need to know how to sew. You need to know how to rebuild a carburetor. You need to know right. how to 
Fix your own brakes. You need to know how the studs in your wall are set up. So if you need to hang something heavy, you know how to do this. All of these little things. Um, Haunting started for me in 1999. I had uh, founded the the Dallas Hearst Club and had met another guy through the Hearst Club who did what's called a yard haunt, where for one or two nights a year, you set up a haunted house in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me to come along, uh, for, for one season and I did, and I figured out pretty quick that this was everything that I loved about show business. <laughs> there was edgy, questionable material, but you were still <laughs> immersing people artistically. You were getting reactions out of them. They were enjoying it. They would laugh. They would cry. They would scream. Um, they, they, they were excited, but in addition to that itch being scratched, mm-hmm. um, I discovered that being a decent welder and a decent seamstress, all of a sudden, those two things were viable in what yeah. I did. So I kind of was an amalgam of, of everything. I, I kind of felt like my entire life up until then had been driving me that direction. Wow. So I, I haunted as an amateur yard hunter for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my wife and I decided to sell our house mm-hmm. and use the proceeds from that to open our first haunted house, which oh, we did. Okay. And it bombed, 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 lost everything. So in typical fashion, I'm, I'm not one to shy away or give up on things. Mm-hmm. So we started over from scratch again. Um, during that one year where we bombed, um, an interesting thing happened in the very last weekend, a group of guys came out to see us from this place called Reindeer Manor. Right. And they came out and they saw the haunted house, which I had, I had no business opening this thing to the public. I mean, it was, it was safe and it was well done, but it was like 1200 square feet. It was a little tidy thing. And in hindsight, um, to say it was the humble way to get into this industry is a pretty serious understatement, but um, they came out and we gave them some tickets to go through and mm-hmm. they really seemed to enjoy it. And they said, well, we're open this next week before Halloween come out and see us. Right. So we, we went out there and saw them and um, liked what they did. And they mentioned, they're like, we have another building. Mm-hmm. We don't have the crew or the manpower or the, the ability to put on a second attraction, but we've got to have more than one attraction to survive in this market now. Right. Um, so I worked at a deal to uh, lease um, one of their buildings, and mm-hmm. I built my first show in it, mm-hmm. um, expanded on that for the next three years. And then I added a second show out there in 2008 um, and ran that one for quite some time. And Reindeer Manor had originally been run by the Boy Scout Troop. Gotcha. Um, and the haunt industry is a lot like the recording industry in that everything has shifted a lot in the last 10 years. The whole, the whole business model has been tossed out the window and haunted houses became a legitimate industry. There's, there's a standard. Now when people would go to a haunted house, they think well, I'm going to see something Halloweeny and I'll pay to see it. Right Now people have an idea in their heads of what to expect. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is haunting as an industry outgrew what a Boy Scout troop can do simply as a fundraiser. Right. Um, so in 2014, they sold the operation 
to us. Mm -hmm. And then we revamped Reindeer Manor and then added a fourth attraction. Um, And, well, I guess this is probably as good a time as any to to mention it. Um, We're going public with it in the next 48 hours, so you're going to kind of hear it here. Awesome! I'm going to ask Um, you, yeah, awesome! uh, This is actually our last year at our current location. Wow! uh, Has been purchased. Um, There's too much construction going on around us now. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're in the process of trying to get the haunted houses moved down here towards Waxahachie, gotcha. um, a little closer to Screams. Uh, so this will be the last year of fear here uh, at the Red Oak location. Mm-hmm. Um, so season 49 will be our last one. And then season 50 will be the, the first one at the new location. Amazing. Um, but since then I've, um, I mean, since I've gotten involved in this industry, uh, we've launched a prop company uh, called Windhinges Creek, and we make uh, decor pieces and do custom commissions. Um, I do some contract work for other haunted houses. Sometimes they are like, hey, when I need a big giant pile of whatever's made. I don't have the time. Can you do it? And right. uh, I've just kind of been able to immerse myself uh, fully into my art for a living, which I like. I, okay. I, I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, Haunting is also not, it's not really a very lucrative venture, if I'm mm-hmm. being brutally honest. When people ask me about it, they're like, is it a good way to make a living? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> I mean, the hard facts are 68% of haunted houses, uh, they pay out of pocket to stay open. They literally don't make any money. There's no, no profit margin. Right. And I mean, as far as haunts that are profitable and sustainable, less than six or 7% of them nationwide uh, meet that criteria. And, Mm. and including us, I mean, we've had years where, you know, mother nature was unkind and gave us a very wet fall. Right. And I mean, all it takes is a couple of rainy Saturdays before Halloween and your whole season's just kaput. I mean, there we've had some great successes at it. And then there's also been years where we've had to go, well, okay, we can make payroll. But for ourselves, we're going to have to go without health insurance for this next year. And that that literally is some decisions that we've had to make. But, um, man, I wouldn't trade what I do for anything, though. Um, man, it's it's one of those things. It's like music. It, it, when it's, man, if it's in your blood, God help you. <laughs> nothing else you can do about it. Listen, my, my, my wife thinks I'm crazy. She's just like, man, I, there's. You love music that much. You sing every. She just like can't. She just she doesn't understand it. I was just like you can't help it. It's not a conscious thing. It's not something you've chosen. It's something that found you. (laughs) And that's that's a hard thing for people outside to to understand. You know, and especially when they see what little successes that we have, that we're lucky. Right. Indeed. Like, man, if you had any idea <laughs> the sacrifices that we all made to, to make this happen Indeed. and still continually make. I mean, even when things are going well, there's time away from family and there's obligations you just can't get out of. And I mean, it's that's what doing art for a living is, though. I mean, when they say art is something that you suffer for, I mean, they're not kidding. Indeed. Indeed. So. Four haunted houses in one location is unique. And yeah. That's what you have. So does each of them offer a different experience? 
Yeah, we try to keep the theming. Um, we try to shift it around quite a bit. The uh, 13th Street Morgue is a very traditional, um, it's a mortuary theme. Because um, mm-hmm. my wife and I are both from the, the funeral industry, uh, kind of funeral industry uh, adjacent, I guess, would be accurate. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and it's it's what we call a slow burn. Um, it's more of a mental thing than an over the top gory thing. It's okay. more, of, it's more environmental mm-hmm. and ambient than it is super high energy. Um, then we have the dungeon of doom, which is a 3d show. You have these special glasses you wear and all the artwork either projects or recesses into the walls right. and arcade theme. And that's where. When I get a 16-year-old kid who applies, who shows up at his auditions with a monster in each hand, I'm like, that's the kid for that. Super high energy, um, right. over the top. Uh, that's where we put people who can do back bends and cartwheels and things like mm. that. Um, the bunker is a post-apocalyptic theme, and it's very um, dark, very dingy. Um, the actors in there, uh, we focus a little more on... There is some quick pop scares, but there's a little more character interaction. The characters are a lot dirtier. The characters help tell the story a little more as opposed to kind of fitting in on top of the story. Right. Um, and finally, we've got Reindeer Manor, the, the crown jewel. And Reindeer is a little unusual in that we actually change the theme there every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's partially indoors and partially out. Um, and this year's theme is ghosts. Okay. Um, but we've done vampires versus werewolves. We've done a mad Mardi Gras party. Yeah. Um, uh, every year it, it just shifts a little bit, but that way it kind of keeps things fresh and keeps things fun. And also gives us an opportunity sometimes to, to make uh, new costumes. A lot of times our artistic direction is altered by things that we acquire. Right. Um, so that, that can be a factor of the direction that we take the theme each year. But um, all of our shows are very high detail. Um, I'm one of those, I have a saying um, that I've been saying for so long that other people will, will quote me on it now. But um, I, I'm real big into detail pieces, which is part of the reason I launched my prop company. It was mm-hmm. a lot of the early pieces were pieces that I had made simply for myself because I felt like it finished a room at like fake light switches and electrical outlets and, and things of that ilk. Um, the, um, the reality though is customers never come out of the exit screaming about crown mold uh, <laughs> this monster or that monster or, you know, this person or that scare yes. is, but I still like that level of detail in there. It's um, it's the kind of thing a, a good decor and lighting is a lot like a good mix. Mm. You don't hear it. Right. If it's done right, you don't hear a good mix down. Gotcha. But you will certainly hear a bad one. Right, indeed. indeed. You can pick and, and choose. It's like, there's way too much compression on that snare. It's <laughs> caught my ear. But if it wasn't, you would just vibe with well, it. Beautiful, um, haunting's kind of the same way. And I I like to provide that good overall mix and vibe and lighting scheme and as time has gone by i mean there was a time where my wife and i were 
two thirds of our makeup crew. And I was the second best makeup artist we had. And I did all the design work and all the creative stuff. And as time's gone by, um, and I'm having to focus more on things like, how's the interface on the ATM going to work? Uh, right. you know, uh, our, our, our ticketing page isn't real user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people who have worked with me for a long time um, who do a lot of the creative stuff now. Um, and take care of a lot of that part of it. And that's been kind of a a weird thing uh, to get to, but it, um, it's taken a lot off my plate and it, it takes a lot to to build up that level of trust with people, but, but they know what I want. Right. They know that I want that show to have that vibe to it and that it needs to gel well with the customers and they, they need to, Every customer needs to feel like the value that they got was more than the ticket that they had to purchase. So on a scale of one to 10, how scary are the haunted houses? Man, fear is such a weird thing. <laughs> um, That's interesting. I like that. It, it, it varies. Um we we kind of try to keep everything dialed up pretty mm. high in the eight to nine range. Where yeah. it gets a little tricky is um, you get to the point where it's no longer in good taste. Mm. Um, so we there's really a, a couple of parameters we have to work with. Then um, the first one is safety. So. Right. Um, we do things that look unsafe. We have a lot of uh, sets made with wires that look like they're sparking or, or floors that are unlevel and things like that. But the reality is, is they're completely safe. Right. Um, we have to focus. All of our design work has to focus around um, ADA compliance and fire exits and, and, and fire safety and building evacuation first. So, and I, and I don't want to say that that's a, a crutch to have to work around because it's, it's our obligation to put right. on a safe show. I mean, so yeah. that has to be first, but then the flip side of it is you get to where you start getting outside a good taste. Um, so we will typically avoid um, anything overly religious. Um, gotcha. We have violence directed towards children or Violence specifically directed at um, women uh, from men. We try to keep everything very even. Um, It's all fair game. Um, I've been to a lot of shows that are very... You know how they always said that, you know, like bands like Poison and Motley Crue wrote songs with their wiener? (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of haunted houses that are the same way and a lot of it is just like an excuse for scantily clad women um which make no mistake i have no problem with inherently but that's not necessarily what your entire customer base wants um i've seen haunted houses that had girls you know teenage Mm making sexual references and things like that, which I thought was pretty inappropriate and gotcha. especially for, for a child that age to, to, to be engaging in. But 
what we have in the middle of all of that is this little sweet chunk of space and a lot of a lot of mistakes that haunts make is um number one they don't maintain group separation mm-hmm. um if you put in a group of six the idea is you train your staff to keep a space between that group and the group in front and the group right. behind Right. Because then otherwise it turns into what we call a conga line and then it just kind of ruins the experience for everybody. Um, now, most shows on busy nights, it's just conga line all the way through, just mm-hmm. in an effort to get customers through. We still maintain about a 93 percentile success rate for separation. Right. Um, and you've got to train your staff. If you've got a slow moving group, scare them from the back. If they're moving too fast, you scare them from the front. But furthermore, you don't just scare them once. We design all of our shows with... Um, central corridors and passageways Mm -hmm. so the idea is that you can hit generally your group is going to be linear and in the front you have what's called the rock normally the bravest person is going to be in the very front the second bravest will be in the very back the ones who are most afraid are going to be in the center (laughs) because they feel like they're the safest right so (laughs) our general concept is to try to distract and not necessarily just go for the first person in the group. So that's where the artistic part of it comes in from an acting standpoint. Cause I mean, you can pop out of one place and catch the middle of the group and get a good startle, distract the other ones while they're doing that. And another one could come out and scare the guy in the front. Well, if the guy in the front scared, it makes it scare for the ones oh, in the middle. Yeah. There's there's really there are a few cardinal approaches to hitting guests. And and number one, obviously, you want to break it up. You don't want to always hit the first person. You want to hit the middle of the group, the back of the group and then the front or vice versa. Hit them multiple times. But there's um, terrify. Well, there's creep out, terrify, horrify and then the gross out. Right. So when you creep, that's exactly like what it sounds. You might even be seen and they know that they're seeing you. You're not trying to hide. Right. You know, you, you give them the side eye. You you let them see you and then you scurry away a little bit. You let them know that you're there. But horrifying and terrifying are really two different things. When you horrify somebody, what you're doing is... You're putting them face to face with an undesirable aesthetic object. And that's your basic startle scare. You come out, there's nobody there. Bam, there's somebody there. They're horrified. They're, they're seeing somebody who's gross or disfigured or ugly or scary. The third approach is terrifying. Terrifying is when you start bringing in the threat of bodily harm. <laughs> and then you start to combine these things where you come out, you horrify them, you give them a quick startle. Right. Then you get down low and you swipe for the legs like you're going to try to take their ankles out. <laughs> now you're terrifying them. And, and this is completely transparent to the customer. They don't realize that they're being horrified and then, tran- and then right. terrified same transaction Mm -hmm. what they do realize though is they feel like every time they see an actor it's fresh and that the experience was very well-rounded the fourth approach is the gross out there are people you just can't scare Mm -hmm. you take your basic combat veteran and you put them in a haunted house the stuff they've seen in real life what we do can't even compare that's when you go for the the gross sounds the vomiting the belching the 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 funny terrible lines 
like that, just to make it entertaining. Right. Um, in that vein, there's well, there's four approaches. There's one exit, the correct one. Right. And the trick is you, you know, as you're posturing for your attack, you don't drop that posture and then vanish. You maintain that posture as you escape. But the beauty is when you've escaped and you're gone, they don't know where you are, <laughs> but you know where they are. Right. You also know that they know that you know where they are <laughs> and you know that they know that you know that they don't know where you are. Right. So you're still scaring even when you're not being yes. Yes. just because you did exit so quickly. Um, and then that's, We've had a lot better luck, honestly, putting together groups of three and four to kind of scare in an area. We don't even have rooms anymore. We have what we call zones. Mm -hmm. So zone one will have four actors in there. And that's also a beautiful thing. If we've got somebody who's new, who's shy and timid, because when it comes to hiring, if they have a pulse and an ounce of enthusiasm, we'll give them a shot. We right. always because sometimes their auditions are terrible, but they end up being great. But you gotcha. take three good veterans and then you introduce this other person. Once they kind of get their sea legs and their mm -hmm. confidence, they mm -hmm. they could be largely unstoppable. Right. Um, and I forgot how I even got <laughs> this far into. Oh, mm -hmm. how scary is it? Yeah. Um, our shows are as scary as our staff can possibly make it. I guess yeah. would be the simplest way to do that. Yeah. And our focus on our staff training is we don't teach them what to say or how to say it. What we do is we teach them the cardinal approaches, the cardinal departures, mm -hmm. because they will always, they'll come up with something in their brain that is so much better than anything we could ever invent for them. Right. That's how I knew I was really onto something. When we had Dungeon of Doom open one night in 2008 and I'm walking around out front and I asked my door person, I'm like, what's with all the howling in there? Mm -hmm. I'm hearing this person howl and this actor howl. And then they're, making you know they're shouting this code word and i'm like what what's happening and they're like oh they've developed this system for wow. if it's this kind of a group they howl this way if it's that mm -hmm. kind of group they howl that way oh, if it's oh, two people, they'll pound on the wall twice if it's a group of four people they'll yell out quads or whatever it is yeah, yeah. and man i gotta tell you i <laughs> just about lost it right there because man that right there that's when i knew i was on to something mm -hmm. when you can Put together a group of people that can make something better than you can make on your own. That's how you know you've really started to get there. Because I'm going, I never would have thought of this. I couldn't have conceived this. I'm not in their heads enough to tell them to come up with this. Yes. But the fact that we gave them this playground and they invented it on their own, I was like, man, that's that's when the customers are getting the max value for their ticket price Yeah, yeah. because they're getting this special show that you just can't invent. It just kind of has to happen organically. Yeah. You gave them the platform to be creatives, man. And that's I, good. Yeah, you give them Not having it so stringent No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, listen, after looking at the pictures, the big guy here, I'm not going to lie to you. I have to go in the kid's store. <laughs> so, <laughs> So I know I saw, you know, doing my due diligence, I've read that, you know, you guys have a kids tour also. So what can you expect, you know, for the kids and the Lord, uh, you know, on that kids tour? Actually, I'm not sure we're doing the kids show this year. Really? Uh, there has been some conversation about it, but mm -hmm. uh, 
part of the the way the move was going to work, we were going to try to move the kids show first. Mm-hmm. Um, iHeart Media, uh, their Dallas office, wanted to partner with us and and do a kid friendly awesome. event um, during lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, most haunted houses weren't able to open. Right. Um, I mean, just due to restrictions. Right. I mean, there was just kind of no way around it. So what we did is we converted Reindeer Manor's acreage into a drive-through. Mm. Um, and that actually went over pretty well, all yeah. things considered. Uh, yeah. It wasn't our best work we'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as what we were able to offer people in their cars, we did a good job. And cool. iHeartMedia had partnered with us about doing a second one um, that was kid-friendly. So we did that as well. And that's when we realized there's kind of a market for kid-friendly stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we did is... Um, we had a petting zoo and a magician who were kind of the main things, but we took two of the shows, turned all the lights on, brought the audio all the way down. Right. Um, and then we had trick or treating inside awesome. and that ended up being a lot of fun to do. Um, it was kind of weird. Cause I mean, when you're, when you're a haunter professionally, I mean, obviously kid friendly stuff, things that you would buy at spirit, big inflatable costumes and mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, just, they, they don't fit into what we're doing. It's, gotcha. it's more, you know, <laughs> Halloween horror stuff, but when you're dealing right. with kid stuff, man, for the first time ever, when we would go to trade shows, we would find like a big, crazy over the top, you know, mascot costume of the tooth fairy. And it's like, okay, mm. this is something we can, we can do now. Right. Um, but the way the calendar worked out this year uh, and with all the construction going on around us, uh, we weren't sure that we we're going to be able to pull it off. The kids right. event was a daytime thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year we were able to put up a bunch of fencing and sightline blockers, but now it's just constant construction around us seven days a week until right. dusk. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure we're going to be able to pull that off this year. If we do, uh, it'll be during the day on the, the last weekend before Halloween. Okay. So we're we're not completely convinced that we're not going to be able to do it, but we're just mm-hmm. going to kind of have to check the lay of the land about mid October and go. Okay, can we pull this off or not? All right. So he's telling me he will have to scare me. Is what he's <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so visual, man. So I, I visualize everything that you're talking about, man. So it's like I feel it when you're talking about it, man. I'm really engaged like that because I see everything so clearly, man. So it's, so it's unbelievable. So you you kind of touched on it a little bit. Where do you get the talent for the haunted houses every year? Is it the same people returning or, or, you know, you yeah, do, yeah. Um, we have, um, fortunately a very, very low turnover rate. Mm. Um, we normally run a staff of about 110 and that wow. includes, uh, security and uh, ticket takers and, and, uh, food services and things like that. But, um, I don't know. We probably bring on 12 to 15 newbies every year. Right. Uh, generally, if we lose a staffer after a few years, it's very seldom because they're not happy doing what they're doing. A lot of times it's because they've moved or had a baby or went to school or their, their job has taken a serious turn of some kind. And they're like, I got to work nights and weekends now. Right. Um, every, every now and then, um, there'll be someone who's like, I've just kind of outgrown doing this. I don't enjoy doing it. And mm-hmm. normally what happens at that point is they come out of the house and that's when they end up in merchandising or on the security team or something like that. But, um, most of them are veterans. And then the newbies, uh, every year we have actor training 
And uh, four or five of us will kind of head all that up. And our actor training is a little unusual. Um, our audition process, we, we're we not interested in how scary they can be. Right. We don't even touch on scary stuff. Uh, no screaming or anything like that or, you know, or angry faces or, you know, being able to come up with, like, you know, gross dialogue. Right. Um, we always have them do impressions for us. Mm. And it's like, do your impression of the wacky wild arm flailing tube guy at the car a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, you're a candle being blown up by the wind is mm-hmm. one that we do a lot. A T-Rex doing push-ups. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a pirate captain and everyone on your ship speaks English except you. And you right. speak a language that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And you have to address your crew and tell them that you're going to go raid another ship. Right. And the reason we do this is it really, number one, it's silly. Mm-hmm. Um, we audition them four or five at a time, so they're not quite as intimidated. Um, it's a good icebreaker. It kind of helps them fit into the existing staff and the veterans that are there. and kind of helps them kind of cut up and show that this is a fun thing. Right. But it also shows us who's willing to make a fool of themselves and who, who doesn't care? Who's perfectly fine to just be like, ah, T-Rex doing pushups and jump on the ground. And, you know, that, that'll tell you a lot about a person right there. But I mean, if they'll jump on the ground and pretend to do pushups like a Mm T-Rex, then putting him in a scary costume in a scary environment with loud, scary music and smoke and blood and all that, it's going to be a cakewalk. It's just not going to be any sort of trouble. I got you. I got you. So, now, that being said, yeah. every year on dress rehearsal, we lose at least one every single year. You can set your watch that we're going to lose one. There's going to be one halfway through the night who goes, I can't do this. <laughs> uh, and oddly enough, and I don't know what exactly this says, but generally, if a theater major auditions, mm-hmm. they leave halfway through dress rehearsal. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, it, it's a weird thing. I did have one guy who uh, quit. Uh, he waited till the end of dress rehearsal, but he took me aside. Um, and he goes, I can't do this. I said, okay. I said, well, I get it. This is not for everybody. Right. I, first and foremost, this is not a job for everybody. And it, you know, it, it, it's a tough one. And mm-hmm. he said his issue was hiding in the dark and scaring people felt mean. And he just couldn't do it. He's like, I can't bring myself to jump out and scare somebody. <laughs> right. Okay. And I was like, okay, I get it. This is, I, a, hunt. I, this is a hunt, you know, this is a hunt. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I mean, I told him, I was like, I appreciate your honesty and, right. and no hard feelings. And I mean, I get it. I mean, I'm not offended or anything like that. And I'm right. glad, I'm glad you told us instead of getting three weeks in. And then finally one of my managers comes to me and goes, yeah, there's no scares happening in this room. I don't know what's right. going on. I got you. Like, well, okay, we can nip that on the bud right now. Because, I mean, <laughs> you 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 really kind of do have to enjoy jumping out and of scaring course. people in the dark. Of I course. mean, that that's part of it. That is definitely a part. It's a gigantic part of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, you know, obviously, you're not really there to hurt anybody. And right. there there is a limit. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if there is someone who's terrified and they're hyperventilating, it's... Right. Do not engage. Gotcha. And I mean, there, there's, it's one thing to traumatize somebody who is clearly not dealing with their environment well. Right. Um, but for the most part, I mean, 
it's normally a scream followed by laughter. It's yeah. it's a beautiful combination. And it's not a lot of places you can get that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, well, you you spoke about it a little bit earlier. You said when hinges creak. So mm-hmm. that's that's your business also. So yeah. to me, it sounds like it could be an adventure in one of the haunted houses. You know, just that title. So tell us about the business and what services and our products you offer. I know you touched on it a little bit earlier. It's mostly uh, resin cast pieces. Uh, the The whole thing kind of started. Um, I was in an old house um, that had been converted to a restaurant. And I remember seeing the old light switches and electrical outlets on the wall. And I remember thinking, this would be a cool haunted house. I remember thinking it'd be neat to have all those little details. Right. So I I taught myself mold making and, and resin casting. And I made a couple of, in hindsight, very, very poor <laughs> molds to make uh, light switches and electrical outlets and, and little detail pieces like that. Right. Um, as my compatriots in the industry would come through, they would see him and they were like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I was onto something when my fire marshal, uh, he actually red flagged me for not having little safety pins pushed into all my electrical outlets. Um, And it just kind of grew from there. I started making um, hinges for morgue drawers. um, And then I found this great handle. So then we started selling plastic copies of the handle Mm -hmm. um, and it's just grown. And we've, we we took probably 20 or 30 uh, of our lowest sellers off the lineup last year. Uh, Mm -hmm. People can still buy them if they need them, but um, our main event is a, is a trans world. It's a big haunted house trade show up in St. Louis, uh, every year. And, um, we're the first booth on the left is, as people come in and we've continually expanded that product line out and done, uh, plumbing pieces now. And it's a lot of people get excited about making prop weapons or, uh, masks or monsters and, I make four inch gate valves that are very convincing. Um, actually some of our gate valves, um, the walking dead, uh, their production company is a customer of ours. Oh, really? They, they've bought some of our pieces because they needed to set up what looked like big, giant, heavy cast iron pieces, but they right. needed light and identical and relatively cheap and relatively fast to get. Awesome. Um, so the, you know, companies like that will, will buy things from us. And, Part of what sells what we do is they can always come back for more. A lot of times they'll buy enough to make six more drawers and then realize they have room for eight. So they can call me back and, gotcha. and whatever else they need. But we offer them finished. We offer them unfinished. And oddly enough, one of the classes that I teach at Transworld is mold making and casting. So mm-hmm. I go up there to sell all these things and then specifically teach a class on how to not need to buy my product, which... <laughs> I'm I'm not really sure I thought that through when I did it, but but I enjoy that part of it too. Cause whenever I get to teach something, I feel like I learn more about it than I knew to begin with. Mm. When you have to kind of condense all your information to make it easily absorbable over right. the an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I kind of have to change my thinking on it a little bit. But right. um but that company uh kind of operates the opposite end of the calendar from the haunted house. Mm -hmm. So normally the haunted house closes in October. 
Um, we have our after party and, and then shut down and clean up until right around Thanksgiving. Normally Thanksgiving to Christmas, we kind of take it easy, mm-hmm. kind of catch our breath a little bit. And then once the holidays are over, um, we start ramping up for the wintertime trade shows, um, get all that done. And then once those initial orders, as we get into spring, start getting filled, we slow down a little bit. And then we start ramping up the haunted house mm-hmm. Then we get the haunted house finished. And then right before we open, we normally have another little short wave of people who need additional pieces right before season. Right. And that's kind of how our calendar works. So it, it was another one of those things that it was a, a niche that nobody was really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been several companies after me that have come along that are, are doing similar things now, but um, it was also something that we could squeeze in through our, our, our calendar with right. relative ease. Right. Um, Cause that's the one downside about haunting um, like anything that seasonal or holiday seasonal, related right. or, or even sports. I mm-hmm. mean, football season starts when football season starts. That's right. There's no way around it. So if you're going to sell footballs, you got to make sure that you've got them ready to go when people are ready for them. You can't say, well, I'm just not ready right now. I'll have them later. There is no later. Right. So when, when does the hunt start? And when does it end? Uh, this year we open uh, Saturday, October 1st, mm-hmm. and then we're going to run all the way through the uh, end of October on weekends. Gotcha. And then that last weekend will be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We'll do that last Sunday. And then of course, I don't care what the calendar fall looks like. I will never not be open on Halloween night. There's right. a lot of shows that only open to Fridays and Saturdays. They don't do Halloween. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't get that at all. I will never not be open on. Yeah, Halloween. That is, I, I guess that kind of doesn't make any sense to be out of man. You know, Halloween. That's what yeah. it's about, man. That's what it's I about. mean, I understand from the dollars and cents, yeah. it probably makes more sense to be closed, yeah. but can't do it. I got Cannot you. do it. Well, what you're doing, I would think that a lot of older people now, uh, more grown folks. Would like to come and do those kind of things like that. So yeah, I mean, just, yeah, yeah. So I was, twenty-five I was, I was, years I, ago, it was yeah. like a kid thing, right? And and it has. I I I think the one those of us that were kids just yeah. kind of grew up with it and just chose to keep it. Right, indeed, indeed. I've noticed that, like at um, like if we go clubbing and just go dancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, twenty years ago, it was kids like us that you know worked at coffee houses and our stores and that was it and now those kids are there but the people my age are there also (laughs) i mean i go i go dance with one of my promoters and my attorney and a funeral director that we've used before i mean those are people dancing with now and and awning is kind of the same way i mean i've got staffers now in their 50s and 60s yeah Indeed, you know, just because it, it is getting to be more of an all ages thing than just a, a teenage date thing. Yeah, no, no, that, that that's a great thing, man. Where you and you want the masses, man. You just don't want that. Just oh yeah, you know, Absolutely. you want everybody coming through. You know, so that's that, that's definitely a love thing. So you are a busy young man out. So what are your plans for the near future in this incredible and entertaining life you live? Oof, man. I don't know. We just moved um, and kind of got that all squared away. Um, right now, we're focusing mostly on getting uh, uh, the next location right. ready. Uh, we're dealing with some city issues on that, which is par for the course. Um, they, they never make that kind of thing easy. But what we're doing is, in addition to moving the haunted house, we're also opening a skate park. 
Okay. Um, there's not one in our immediate area. The nearest mm-hmm. one, which we're actually going to here in just a little bit, is right. about an hour away. Mm. Um, so we want to open up something a little bit closer. Right. But outside of that, um, going to keep, you know, playing with uh, the Chilling Archives. Uh, I play guitar for a, a post-punk group called The Happy Phantom. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got some touring acts coming through that we're going to be opening for um, those should be fun I'm looking forward to that and outside of that just keep on doing what I'm doing of course man well you're handling your business man you talk about skateboard shop I have uh, the Hoop Skateboard Company I have a deck right back there nice. uh, that he's going to do some stuff for me and uh, my man Scott Bowling off the Good Company uh, podcast he gave that to me man it's just uh, just love man and so the guy that owns hoops man we're we're doing some things with lord nelson and uh it's love man so you know skate now, stuff, man. are you gonna skate that deck come on man now <laughs> I, i'm a little bit older now now back in the day when i used to do some skateboarding when i was a, a young man back in fort benning georgia many moons ago uh now no <laughs> never too it's, old no, i started skating <laughs> at 45 years old really I started at 45. So what's funny is that I can just remember my kids, you know, we bought them skateboards and they were just like, man, I hopped my big tail on there and they were like, dad. So I started like doing tick, ticking back and forth and, and doing the thing. They were just like, I was like, you know, I was a kid at one time, but what you oh, guys yeah. understand And they yeah. were just looking at me like, I cannot believe. <laughs> I was just like, man, this is what we used to do. This is what. You know, we didn't have the video games like you guys have video games. Yeah, we, this well, is we didn't we did. have we cars. Went and, we went outside I mean, and did what we did. So that was just how that. we operated. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, no, no, but it's awesome. So, if you don't mind, young man, please give my listeners and followers all your pertinent information. If they want to, you know, come down to Texas or or do whatever, man, just to get in touch with you. Um, the website for The Haunted House is uh, reindeermanor.com. And it's got all the backstories on there and everything, and the ticketing information in the calendar. Um, the prop company is winhingescreek.com, and that's got our full product line on there. Uh, they can uh, find the Chilling Archives on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, they can also find Happy Phantom on, on, on both of those formats. There's not a lot of uh, stuff for Happy Phantom yet. That group is relatively new. Okay. Um, there's a new album that comes out at the very end of October. Awesome. So I have awesome. a, a, a lot of new stuff that we're going to be uploading then because okay. that's what I need is one more thing to have to squeeze into my October. <laughs> <laughs> you are busy. Yes, indeed. Well, look, man. I just want to say that this has been truly entertaining for me. I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Having a great oh, time. Not a problem at all. Yeah, I'm glad Matt Matt linked this up, man. And uh, it's just enjoyable, man. It just 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 like you say, the haunt. I like that word. I'm a haunter. Yeah, <laughs> it's, just, it's just so visual for me, man. It's just like well, when oh, people man. ask, they're like, "What do you do for a living?" Yeah. And I always tell them, "I'm a haunter," and they go, "I don't even know what." That <laughs> <is>. <laughs> Yeah, because when you said it, it kind of caught me off guard, guard too. Yeah. I was like a haunter. And like, we're oh, just cool. that vernacular because, yeah. you know, haunters, we have haunts, oh, and, that's, and that's, that's, awesome. that's just how we do things. That and, and awesome. yeah, it's, we kind of have our own little language in that industry like most industries do. I got you. I got you, man. Well, look, uh, just continued success, man. I applaud you, and uh, congratulations on becoming public, as you said. And um, that's just a beautiful thing, man. just want to 
grow as big as you want it to be, man, and enjoy yourself. Enjoy every moment of the life you've been given, man. That's all I. That's the way I live my life, man. I'm yeah, you only it. get one. You only get one, so enjoy you really it, do. And do my goal do. for it is, I don't know how long it's going to last, but yeah. on my last day, mm-hmm. if people go, do you have any regrets? I want to be able to go, none. I feel you on that because I no, don't have any I don't. Just, just life Even lessons. If it didn't work out, I did my best with, right. and I can't feel bad if it didn't work out. And yeah, I figured man. that's a pretty decent way to live. Yeah, salute to your wife, man, for supporting you and all those good things like that, man. And it's really a beautiful thing, man, most definitely. So, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, once again, it is yours truly, the Lord. Nelson, that is, ha, on the podcast Live and Live with the Lord and my very special guest. Mr. Alex Lohman, of course, on the CMS Network. Thank you so much, my brother. I really, really, really appreciate it. Great conversation. Great conversation, Pat. <laughs> Thank you much. Happy to do it anytime. This is me, man.